0: It was nice to finally speak with you. In yeah, person. definitely. Hey, you too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've always I've always appreciated chatting with you on, online, and it's always great Thanks. to hear your ideas. So.
1: Well, you met Paul for the first time very recently. Yeah, yeah. And I met Nate whenever I recorded, I guess a week ago. So it was kind. Of, it's kind of neat. The first time it was me and Paul and Dan, and we're like, wow, like none of us had ever seen each other other than Facebook yeah. pictures. So it was sort of like wow you're like there and you're moving and speaking this is so weird Greetings and welcome to this edition of Peter's Field Hospital. My name is Mike Lewis and I'm the managing editor of the website wherepeteris.com. And today I am joined by two of our contributors, David Lafferty and Nathan Tarowski. So David, a lot's happened in the past couple of weeks, especially surrounding Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. He Wrote a letter to President Donald Trump where he talked about the deep church and the forces of good and evil that are battling in our society. And then he followed it up a couple of days later with a letter where he talked about how there was a parallel church of Vatican II and essentially denounced the council. The other day, we published a piece by the theologian. Robert Fastigi, who argued that based on the statements that he's made in a number of his recent letters, it's fairly clear that Archbishop Vigano has embraced a schismatic position. But in this podcast, one of the things that I want to focus on maybe a little bit more are some of these surprising cases where Catholics in the mainstream are are beginning to accept Conspiracy theories, and not to mention the fact that by giving Archbishop Vigano a platform, our president has brought his what many thought was a fringe message into the mainstream. Uh, David, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what Archbishop Vigano has written?
0: Sure. So I have the the letter. That was written by Archbishop Vigano to President Trump on June 7th. Um, it was Holy Trinity Sunday. And I thought I would read a few passages just to give people who, who haven't read the letter yet an idea of the contents. So he's, he, said, he starts it off, Mr. President. So he's addressing Trump directly. He says, in recent months, we have been witnessing the formation of two opposing sides, that I would call Biblical, and he italicizes Biblical and capitalizes it as well. So he says, the formation of two opposing sides that I would call Biblical, the children of light and the children of darkness. The children of light constitute the most conspicuous part of humanity, while the children of darkness represent an absolute minority. And these children of darkness, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, he says, they quote, hold strategic positions in government, in politics, in the economy, and in the media. And he also says that, quote, the good are held hostage by the wicked and those who help them either out of self interest or fearfulness. And then he says, quote, again, uh, these two sides which have a biblical nature, and he uses this term biblical italicized again, uh, follow the clear separation between the offspring of the woman. And the offspring of the serpent. So on the one hand, there are these children of light. He says, although they quote have a thousand defects and weaknesses, they're motivated by a desire to do to do good. And then there are the children of darkness who uh quote uh serve themselves, who do not hold any moral principles, who want to demolish the family and the nation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, if they do not repent, they will be, uh, uh, the fate that awaits them is eternal damnation. So maybe I thought we could start just by looking at that. This is just the first two paragraphs of the letter, but I think it's incredibly significant. And maybe I'll, I'll just add um, that he, uh, in the third paragraph, he identifies these children of darkness, the forces of darkness, with. Um, the deep state um, which he says that Trump wisely opposes and which is fiercely waging war against you these days. And they have decided to show their cards, so to speak, by now revealing their plans. And he blames these children of darkness for the, uh, uh, the COVID uh, crisis. It's not exactly clear um, what he means by that, but he does say that this is a colossal operation of social engineering. So what really stood out to me was that, first of all, Vigano seems to be taking all of his sort of conspiracy theories and his his sense of antagonistic forces within the church, he's taking it outside of the church now. And I I, I kind of think of this letter as like a hook. He was trying to kind of cast a hook, because I think he's a little desperate, actually, because, you know we've heard so much from Vigano and, and people just find him crazier. It sounds crazier and crazier every time. His conspiracy theories get further and further out there. I think he, he needed to do something significant, as, as significant as his initial letter of, of accusation that, that started the whole Vigano affair. And and that's what he's doing here. He's he's cast out a hook. And before we discuss the maybe this idea of the children of light versus the children of darkness and whether or not this actually fits with Catholic theology and the sort of Catholic understanding of the world. I should mention that after Vigano published this, uh, it was published, uh, I believe, first on Life Site News, which is a, a venue that Vigano seems to have used in the past and uses um, fairly often. It was linked to in a what is called a Q drop, and maybe we can get to this later on, but it was linked to in a Sort of message from this mysterious person named Q, who posts uh, online and on various message boards um, that are followed by followers of the QAnon conspiracy theory, and it was linked to from there. And then shortly after that, I, th- I can't remember how long it was, maybe a, a couple of days. Trump himself uh, retweeted the LifeSite link to the Vigano letter, so I, I kind of see this as you know the hook landed and set and uh i think it was you know mission accomplished for Vigano. but anyway we can we can get to that um but i think maybe we can first address this idea of the the children of light versus the children of darkness and i'm wondering nathan how would you see this idea and and do you think that this fits into catholic thinking and catholic theology
2: i see it as um pretty much overtly manichaean um There is some biblical warrant for these terms, children of light, especially the children of light, as described in the actual New Testament, are not the good guys in some cosmic struggle with the dark side of the force. I think it would have been possible to use this language in a way that was consistent with the Catholic understanding of good and evil. I don't think Vigno did use this language in a way that was consistent with the Catholic understanding of good and evil. It's closer to the understanding of good and evil we see in Zoroastrianism, in the Manichaeanism that St. Augustine converted to Christianity from, and frankly in a lot of popular media. But it, it, it does not sound like the way your common or garden Catholic archbishop would talk about "quote unquote" spiritual warfare to me at all?
1: Now, David, um, I was going to ask you because you've uh, looked into the roots of of some of these um, groups that have influenced these movements that have influenced uh, Archbishop Viganò. This dualism or or Manichaeism that he that he seems to be espousing. Do you see a connection to? the various Marian ap- uh, apocalypticists that you've been studying or the TFP movement or radical traditionalism of uh, of any kind additionally my understanding of of this Q uh QAnon phenomenon and forgive me i i know very little about what what's going on on the deep web or on 4chan but i've heard QAnon described as an anti-Catholic, anti-Vatican, fundamentalist Protestant movement that has elevated Donald Trump to some kind of biblical hero or or something like that, and I suppose just as Sedevacantists and the SSPX have co-opted anti-Catholic rhetoric and and applied it to the Vatican and and various structures within the church that they oppose i can kind of see how radical catholic traditionalism can be tied into this to that sort of q movement but maybe maybe you can kind of give a uh, not that uh, not that I, don't, I think anyone can can read archbishop Vigano's mind but what influences do you suspect are
0: behind these theories that he's putting forward yeah uh, thanks mike um well i First of all, I, I I totally agree with uh Nathan that there's a a very strong sort of Manichaean flavor to this, in which uh it's it's basically the, the forces of good and the forces of evil locked in, you know, what, what Vigano actually does is refer to as an eternal battle, right? So this is more like again, those dualistic uh religions where you have a force that is all good versus a force that is all bad. And I think it does relate to some of the Marian apocalypticism that I've I've been looking at. But I think in the case of this particular Vigano letter, I think what he's really trying to tap into is a general strain of what I would call populist conspiracism. And you might say that this this letter represents a sort of fusion of Catholic conspiracism, which you know which which tends to be a little more arcane and you know requires a bit more sort of historical specialized knowledge um with a populist conspiracism and it's some of the same sort of conspiracy theories in both cases but it's just a different way of articulating them and and populist conspiracism always frames things in a a manichaean way it's always um a question of sort of the good ordinary people versus uh, like dark foreign elements, um, or versus you know the corrupt decadent elites, um, and it's always this kind of yeah light versus dark, good versus evil. Because there's a real I think you know thirst for that sort of clarity. You know people are always saying I want clarity, right? Like a lot of you see a lot of disgruntled Catholics asking for you know they want courageous bishops who are going to stand up and speak clearly, and often you know, what they're really asking for is I want something more dualistic. I want something more Manichaean. I want, I want a real enemy that I can just think of as completely depraved and evil, right? Um, which tends to fly against the way that the Catholics generally think. But yeah, within this populist conspiracism, the conspirators are just, they're evil. They're potentially, you know, demonic. Um, they're subverting everything that's that's good. And and it's often it fuses with politics in most cases, right? So it's, it's a very this worldly political way of seeing things. So like examples in American history would be like uh, Father Coughlin in the uh, the nineteen thirties, the John Birch Society, um, and some of their conspiracy theories, even the uh, the Satanic Panic, which happened in the uh, the nineteen eighties when there was the the fear that. America was rife with satanic cults that were uh, you know killing children and, and that many people belonged to these cults and they were you know kind of in infiltrating all the various you know levels of, of government and, and schools and all that kind of stuff and he's tapping into that and I think specifically though he's tapping into the populist conspiracy theory that 's surrounding trump and I should say that although we're kind of focusing on right-wing conspiracy theory here and and trump i I should say just as a sort of disclaimer that i don't think this is a uniquely right-wing phenomenon there are left-wing conspiracy theories out there i just want to say that to make it you know i'm not you know saying this to denigrate people who support trump because it's not it's not all people who support trump who buy into this but there are a significant number the most prominent sort of conspiracy theory behind trump and there's actually people who are running for office right now who believe in this conspiracy theory are the QAnon followers. Um, and QAnon, I'll just, again, I'm, I'm rambling on a little bit here, but I'll just kind of get this out first, and then maybe we can discuss it a little more. But QAnon is a conspiracy theory that grew out of the Pizzagate conspiracy theory that, uh, that started online after, um, or like just before the 2016 election, in which it was alleged that John Podesta and Hillary Clinton were involved in a, a child trafficking ring, that they were part of a sort of cabal of pedophiles. And QAnon is a sort of extension of that. And it started on uh, 4chan uh, message board and, and then migrated to some other places after it was banned. But um, the basic idea is there's this person or account, or they don't know if it's one person or multiple people, posting under the name Q. This person claims to be a sort of high up either military or government official who's working kind of behind the scenes on behalf of Trump in order to bring down the cabal, bring down this great cabal of pedophiles, um, which includes, again, not just Hillary Clinton and John Podesta. But it, it really is a, a worldwide phenomenon that includes people in all sorts of high up positions, many world leaders. They're all part of this. and. It's it's utterly bizarre when you get deep into it. I mean, they, they believe that these people um not only traffic children but kill children and then eat or consume their adrenochrome and it's it's a, a chemical that the body produces naturally. And they believe that, that these people, like Hillary Clinton, sort of feed off of this adrenochrome. It keeps them young, it keeps them, you know, functioning, that sort of thing. And Trump is waging this incredibly complex war to bring down the entire thing. And they call what's coming is going to be called the storm. This will be the moment at which Trump unleashes all the forces of the state, arrests all of the cabal, and then in most QAnon scenarios, he'll publicly execute them all. And then finally, you know, we'll have this wonderful, peaceful post-cabal world where America will be great again, and everyone can live in peace and and harmony. And there's a lot of language that's sort of common to QAnon. And what really struck me, and I know people are going to say I'm crazy for thinking this, and that I may be being a conspiracy theorist too, but I'm willing to put this forward that I think, I actually think Vigano either knows about Q or knows about some of the language that's used in the QAnon conspiracy theory. And this language is also sometimes used just in kind of general MAGA- popular discourse. So he may have got it from there too, but I, I, I have a feeling he might know about it. So the first thing is that the use of the word biblical, this comes from a Q drop. It's, it's used in QAnon sort of language because it appeared in a, in a Q drop a few times, I believe. And again, these Q drops are from this mysterious agent who kind of drops clues about the progress of Trump's war against the cabal. And it's a quote from a movie called law-abiding citizen. And it's it's a person being sort of, um, I think he's being questioned by the police, and they're asking him what his plans are. And he says, I'm going to pull the whole thing down. I'm going to bring the whole diseased, corrupt temple down on your head. It's going to be biblical. And so that little fragment of it's going to be biblical phrase is, you can find it on t-shirts, you can find it like on memes all over the place. It's uh, There's a few others like uh, dark to light, this idea of, the forces of dark versus the forces of light is, is really popular among QAnon people. And again, these are things that he taps into. And then the deep state, this is a huge part of it. So Trump's war against the the cabal um, is also a war against the deep state. And again, they believe that the deep state and the cabal is involved in the COVID crisis, that they've brought this about as a way of thwarting Trump's re election. There's also this idea of the invisible enemy. And Vigano uses this term, invisible enemy, numerous times in his letter. And he, again, capitalizes it and italicizes it. That term, invisible enemy, comes from a Trump tweet originally, where Trump was talking about coronavirus and saying, we're waging a war against an invisible enemy. People within the QAnon community took that as a sign that he was talking about the cabal, not about coronavirus at all. And so they took it to mean that the invisible enemy is the deep state, is the cabal. And again, Vigano uses this term, invisible enemy, and emphasizes it. So a lot of the things that he's emphasizing, invisible enemy, deep state, uh, biblical, these are kind of key, key QAnon terms. So... I do think he was angling for that community, and I think it worked because the day, I think it was the day after or the day, the day that he actually sent out the uh, letter, that's when there was a Q drop referencing the letter. And I've seen it now spread all through the sort of QAnon community, people saying this is just this incredible historic letter that, that really captures like everything that they're trying to do. So I think it's, it's definitely mission accomplished for Vigano. For
1: that's interesting because yeah, one of the things that I that I saw when I mean, for example, LifeSite News's headline when they published the letter was that it was a powerful letter from Vigano to Donald Trump. And when I read the thing, my jaw dropped. As this discourse gets more and more bizarre, the details just strike me as as so odd and so opposed to a normal uh, mainstream line of thinking, and I know that the QAnoners would would describe me as a as a sheep, whatever they call regular people. Normie, um, yes.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm a normie. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the things, and and I'll I'll turn to Nathan about this with this question. I'm looking right now at a at an article that um, Michael Sean Winters published with the headline will conservative catholics be horrified by latest vegano letter and you know what um part of what we've done at where peter is has been uh to point out that a lot of a lot of these people who are attacking pope francis have been embracing really bizarre ideologies i think that we are reaching new new heights in this area um, but I've reached the point where the amount of conspiratorial language and off-the-wall theories that they're willing to embrace, much less tolerate, nothing surprises me at this point anymore. We have uh, people like Father Z who are writing extra-long tributes to this letter. We have a retired seminary faculty like Janet Smith. Sharing this and praising it on her Facebook page, we have bishops tweeting praise for Vigano, and one bishop aligning with Vigano, Bishop Strickland of, of Tex, in Tyler, Texas, and we had Bishop Thomas Tobin of Providence, Rhode Island, who didn't know whether uh, Vigano is a prophet or a madman, and he said possibly a little bit of both. You know, I don't know how far this is this how far how low this can go. Nathan, you're a, a convert to the Catholic faith and probably have been, uh, had your eyes open to some of this more bizarre world of Catholic conspiracy thinking. I mean, what do you make of all of this? That that people who are re- once respected archbishops, bishops, theologians are are just swallowing this type of thing, hook, line, and sinker?
2: First of all, I knew about this side of Catholicism. I knew that this side of Catholicism existed well before I converted. I went through an Umberto Eco phase in high school, um, and I actually still quite like his novels. Now, I often think of the some of the deranged characters in Foucault's Pendulum when when this sort of stuff hits the the Catholic news sphere. But to um, to answer your question, I, I I do think that I kind of assumed this stuff was fringe. For a lot of my life, you know, for the first couple of years of my life as a newfound Catholic, I assumed that, oh, you know, this is um maybe there's this rotation of like half a dozen bishops Burke scrounges up and I don't know, maybe a high single digit percentage of the laity who buy into this. Basically the same proportion of people who buy into any ridiculous notion, whether it be um flat earthers the 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 10 to 12 percent of americans who are hardcore anti-semites etc cetera, etc cetera. and of course there's a lot of overlap between the latter and, and some of the catholic conspiracy people but we don't need to go into that right now i i've just been horrified to see kind of the, the mask drop from people like strickland tobin retired figures in the u.s hierarchy like bishop is it grasita yeah bishop renee grassita yeah Yeah, i've I've only seen the name in writing i wasn't sure how it was pronounced yeah i i think that there's this kind of fool's paradise that a lot of people are living in that i was living in that oh this is kind of out there in the ether these ideas are there but they don't convince that many people this these is this is just a very loud very vocal but very small minority um I'm not so sure of that anymore. Like like the 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 term um meme as in an internet meme was coined unfortunately in the late 70s by Richard Dawkins of all people. And what he coined the word meme to describe was an idea or cultural concept that replicates and perpetuates itself in the same way that a piece of genetic information does. And I think most of the time this is uh, this this whole idea of memetics is a misguided attempt to apply a concept from one discipline to another discipline that it really doesn't belong in. But honestly, I don't know how else to describe this just wildfire spread and now apotheosis into the MAGA sphere of... Th- th- this conspiratory this conspiratorial style that was considered fringe even a couple of years ago i don't know how else to describe it other than that yeah maybe it is an immaterial equivalent of some sort of bacterial or viral strain that cracks the code and and goes worldwide and i don't i don't know what's to be done about that i'm 27 years old i've been a practicing Catholic for three or four years now, and even among—I'd say even especially among people my age—and especially among converts my age, I see a, a worrying amount of receptivity to this stuff.
1: One thing that I, one thing that you said that kind of connected with me—I grew up in a somewhat reactionary uh, Catholic home. My grandfather was, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, would rant and rave about Vatican II. He didn't like the changes in the Mass. My neither mom, did my,
2: neither did my grandmother, but she died before I was born.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and my um, my mother read a number of of books, for example, that were published by Tan Books that would talk about Masonic or or homosexual infiltration. She received some of the 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 fatima publications i don't know if she subscribed to them intentionally or if they just sent them to her but i grew up sort of knowing this fear and knowing some of these basic talking points and knowing some of these conspiracy theories and i reached a point maybe when i was about your age where i started to look into these things with a more critical eye trying to find documentation, trying to find evidence, trying to seek out those who could possibly give me uh, the official explanation or the real intention behind some of these things. And I felt like I grew out of that entire mindset at a certain age, a little bit before Francis became Pope. Then the crazy thing is, after Francis became Pope, I started To see my friends and people online, Catholic public figures, lay apologists, bloggers, people like that all of a sudden starting to subscribe to these theories that I thought I had outgrown. I thought I had moved away from the fringe and had started to finally see things more clearly with with more apply more common sense, uh, apply more scrupulous evaluation of evidence follow Catholic teaching more closely frankly when it comes to thinking with the church and it's like watching a slow moving car wreck to see people who are older than me people who weren't exposed to these things at a young age like i was who are just discovering them now or within the last 5 or 6 years to start to descend into this um abyss of negativity and reactionaryism and and conspiracy theory like i know david both you and i read the memoir waiting for the apocalypse which was written by a woman who was raised by traditionalist parents in the in the years following vatican ii and how they sort of subscribed to these periodicals they found latin masses to attend that were being said by renegade priests in you know in furniture stores before they opened on on Saturday on Sunday morning that sort of thing these were people with some skin in the game and they were a very small but passionate group yes they had fringe beliefs they were very apocalyptic they believed in a lot of conspiracy theories but their circle never really grew and now with social media And books like Infiltration by Taylor Marshall. We're seeing these 1960s, 1970s anti Vatican II conspiracy theories. We're seeing people discover these conspiracy theories for the first time. They're believing them, they're believing them on a wide scale. And I, like Michael Sean Winters, at first thought, well, Know people are criticizing Omoris Letitia, they're criticizing uh, the Pope's teaching on the death penalty. Let's show you some of the thinking that's that's motivating these people who are criticizing the Pope. Let's show you how fringe they are. Let's show them how fringe they are. And once they see that, common sense will prevail, they'll return to the mean, they'll realize, oh wait. These are some pretty crazy ideas. But instead, what I'm seeing is either a silence from the people who do know know better. And I'm thinking about a a lot of academic theologians and Catholic writers who aren't saying anything about this stuff. You know, Vigano sends out a letter and they just shut their mouths. Cardinal Burke talks about vaccines with microchips in them and they don't cover it. They don't mention it. So that's one group that are just allowing this to happen and then there's another group which is regular catholics in the pews are being led by some of these loudmouth figures who have wholeheartedly swallowed these conspiracy theories hold up Vigano as a prophet and a hero and i'm just watching this in stunned amazement david do you have any insights into the into what makes this moment in history unique in the church especially when it comes to these fringe ideas taking hold
0: well i think that a lot of it is the result of what i would call a sort of crisis of liberalism that that happened maybe let's say five or six years ago kind of during the Obama years, where you have uh, a generation growing up and um, increasingly dissatisfied with standard liberal progressivism that seemed to reign in uh, the United States and in much of the world. And so you get a sort of underground reaction forming to this, and then it starts to turn into more of a, a general upheaval. And that's, I think, when you get brexit then you get the election of trump these things that nobody saw coming right they were just like completely out of the blue for some people not for people who were kind of watching this stuff develop right um so like before you had trump you had the the development online of the uh the alt-right i mean i remember in 2015 watching that develop and it was mainly you know young people using uh, anonymous accounts and memes and and things like that um and digging up the most sort of reactionary possible, you know, uh, ideas and materials that they could find. And and then broadcasting this and forging whole identities based on it. And although a lot of them remain anonymous, some of them go public and then it starts to work its way into mainstream discourse, uh, you know, little by little. And I think what we're seeing in the church is, is is definitely a reflection of that. It's, and and I think, I think it would be wrong to see it. I mean, the the election of Pope Francis was certainly a huge thing, and the the change of direction that we get in the church with the election of Pope Francis that that really, I think, helped to kind of fuel the sort of you know traditionalist um, reaction. But I think we also have to tie it to that general sort of populist uh, reactionary sort of upheaval that that we've been we've been going through people who are basically saying you know we want to smash the existing structures and build something new based on these ideas from the past whether it's some kind of ethno state or whether it's some kind of medieval vision of an integral catholic state and we see these ideas all all the time and it tapped into i think again an existing conspiratorial undercurrent in some areas of the church. Um, and it's only made that more visible. It's only made it, it's only fueled it. So, yeah, I mean, just, you know, looking around at the right-wing or, or traditionalist Catholic landscape, it's it's all conspiracy-based. It's, you have the, you know, church militant with their kind of endless theories of, of homosexual, you know, infiltration of the church, um, taken to a, a ridiculous, this paranoid extreme You have anti Masonic theory, which has been brought up again by Taylor Marshall in particular. You have the anti Satanist stuff coming out a bit too, like with the worries about black masses. You have anti Semitism coming up again, especially with the figure of, of E. Michael Jones. I mean, he's, of all the people who have a voice in the church today, he's the one who is most representative of classic Catholic anti-Semitism. Back in the 80s, he, he published a magazine called Fidelity Magazine. It was, it was uh, more of a um, church militant type thing. And it's actually really well documented by um, Michael uh, Cuneo, who wrote the book uh, The Smoke of Satan, about radical uh, traditionalist Catholicism. Um, and so he was going after homosexuals in the church. That was one of his big things and kind of looking for scandals. It was kind of like a scandal rag, you know, Catholic scandal rag. And then he evolved and brought a anti-Semitic conspiracy theory into his worldview, and that became his the the sort of focus of his work. This idea that uh, Jewish people are are anti anti logos, and uh, that he stands for his 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 kind of movement now that he's kind of trying to push forward is this logos rising movement, and the idea um, that's that's always there in the background is that. Jews are anti-Logos because they rejected Christ. They're the conspirators behind all the great revolutions like the Russian Revolution. They're behind entertainment industry, pornography, abortion, everything. They control intellectual life and culture in America. These are the basic ideas that Jones puts forward. And now we're seeing him on... Patrick Coffin has had him on his show numerous times, even just recently, to talk about this whole Logos rising idea. And that's just... Blowing my mind that you know this Patrick Coffin, who used to work for uh, Catholic Answers and was a, a host and a, a talented host, and um, now I, I hear him speaking to E. Michael Jones and having people sort of you know lap it up, and it's 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 mind blowing. I mean, just as a side note, I should say that he did question Jones on the Jewish uh, question about the Jews being anti-logos, and he he put forward a more kind of orthodox Catholic understanding of the relationship between. Jews and Christianity, but Jones basically rejected that. And then Coffin didn't push it any further. So he very really soft pedaled on that. But it it blows my mind that 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 that's even happening. So yeah, I think the church was like just waiting almost. You know, like there was this sort of very, very fertile ground, and it was just waiting. And then you get this sort of larger populist movement erupting in the world. You get Donald Trump and Things change pretty pretty rapidly, and I think the Vigano letter is almost like a sort of climax in this. I think the way that he's positioning himself, the way that he's positioning his allies within the church, he's almost forcing people to choose between Donald Trump and Pope Francis. And I, I mean, which is just such a false opposition. One one example of this and how this idea has sort of seeped in is I, I last night I listened to Father Frank Pavone. He did a a little live stream show on what he called on the deep church because this is something that Vigano mentions in his letter. He says that the people in the deep state are connected to the deep church and. He's been fighting the deep church in the same way that Trump has been fighting the deep state. So he kind of compares himself to Trump, and they're doing the same thing. And Father Frank Pavone is with Priests for Life, You know, this very prominent, outspoken, popular um, pro-life commentator and activist. He fully agreed with Vigano. He said, you know, yes, he says there's, there's people in the church, and this is a quote he said, who are they're lying, they're wicked, they're crooked imposters. He says they're connected, if not person to person. In, then, in their left wing radical philosophy and goals and methods to the deep state, and he said that the deep church is in bed with planned parenthood, they have the same methodologies as the deep state. they lie about people, they're corrupt, they don't have anything to do with Jesus Christ and he said they're they've been trying to get him, and anyone who is trying been trying to to sully his reputation, they better be afraid because eventually all's going to come out. Deep Church will be revealed. The deep state will be revealed, and we know that of all the people in the Catholic Church, Father Pavone is probably one of the most outspoken advocates of the re-election of Donald Trump. He's the, you know, he's he's gained a lot of notoriety for that. And it was just unbelievable hearing Vigano being used and tied to Trump in that incredibly, what to me is just a sacrilegious, almost sort of way, like he's taking you know, the affairs of the church and just tying it so directly to one particular political candidate and one particular view of politics. And, um, and I think we're in for maybe a rough ride if this is the future, because Vigano is going to take all that conspiracism with him now. I think he's going to, all of that's going to be sort of attached to Trump through, through Vigano, if that makes any sense.
1: This concludes part one of our discussion with David Lafferty and Nathan Tarowski. Tune in later this week for the second and final part of our conversation. As always, we would like to thank our Patreon supporters, especially Lisa, Chris, and Stephen. If you would like to support Where Peter Is, please click on the Patreon button on the right-hand column of wherepeteris.com. On behalf of David and Nathan, I'd like to thank you for listening to Petersfield Hospital. Until next time, God bless and take care.